Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Checkout. It's a podcast that hopefully you have subscribed to. And if you haven't already, then make a point to do it. Produced at WBGO Studios in Newark. All of our shows archived on our homepage at checkoutjazz.org. We have a lot of them. And I'm your host, Simon Rettner. I know I always say we have a special program. As we do. We try to make this show as special as possible on a weekly basis. But today I really mean it because today I invited one of my esteemed colleagues, producer, the writer. He's a man of many talents. Maybe he'll reveal a few of them on this show. <laughs> His name is Trevor Smith. You know, you, you said you wanted to do something special, you know, since we're, we're raising money for our fall fund drive. And you know, I've been listening to the checkout for a long, long time. And you've helped me discover a lot of music out there. And there's a lot of work behind the scenes. You're out there, you're talking to a lot of people, you're traveling around the world. And you know, as a producer, I, I sure know that, you know, not everything can make it to the show. And so I tasked you with going back into the checkout archives and pull some of your favorite interviews that never made it to the pod, never made it to the air. So how'd you do? I've been actually dying to get this segment out. It was with the great vocalist, composer, she plays the drums a little, multimedia artist, Genevieve Artadi, signed to Brain Feeder Records. You might know her as the second half of Knower with Lewis Cole. I've been a, a Lewis Cole nerd for a long, long time, all the way back to his self-titled record in 2010. I went to Berkeley College of Music back in the day, all my friends there just kept on telling me, like, you gotta check this dude out. He's like mixing some rock. He's mixing some mathematic funk stuff going on, you know? You know, sure enough, he's not only blown up, but he's just showing up all over playlists, all over the best of lists. And, you know, he's in constant rotation. I, I, I love Lewis and Genevieve too. You know, them together, can't beat it. But first, we want you to come through for us right now and make a contribution at 1-800-499-9246, or better yet, at checkoutjazz.org, wbgo.org, where you can make a pledge and support the music, support the checkout, support the almost lost checkout sessions. So Lewis, his his brain feeder label mate, Thundercat, as featured on the checkout many years ago, uh, his latest record had a track called I Love Lewis Cole. If that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. So if you love the checkout, give us a call right now. You could also text us. Text WBGO to 56512 and show your support. Let's get our earbuds stimulated with this Genevieve Artadi track that she just made. 
Pelas estrelas te fazer feliz E te trazer toda manhã Um botão de flor Não faz sofrer a quem jurou Feliz ser o aprendiz Que tantas vezes te Move as montanhas, move as marés E vai subindo pelo azul da imensidão Não faz sofrer meu coração Que o teu fiel sou eu Escuta minha oração I'm just going to ask a very simple question. What does a musician sound like, look like, appear like today? Instead of uh, what instrument do you play, maybe the question is how many instruments do you play? And in our interdisciplinary age, is music only one piece of the formula for success? Well, our next artist, who we've come to know quite intimately through our laptop screens, may have answers to some of these questions. Watch out, world. Please welcome the singer, multimedia, multi-instrumentalist, Genevieve Artardi. I don't really mind if I'm not on your mind all of the time. What are you? How do you define yourself, Genevieve? I define myself as a human being <laughs> and a nice lady. I just saw you recently playing the drums with uh, Pedro Martins. <laughs> you also sing. Yeah. You also are, uh, write lyrics. Yes. My main thing is I write songs and I sing. And then I just started trying to learn drums last year. And I'm not good, but I have a lot of fun. Why is it that, for some reason, you and Lewis Cole have been framed in this jazz world when really, like, your sound and what you do in multimedia production really doesn't accommodate that idea? Well, we both did go to school and study jazz, but, and we listened to a lot of jazz, we love jazz. And I think there's a spirit in there and a lot of harmony and rhythmic stuff that make their way into it. So, and I think people who listen to jazz are more open-minded than other people in other genres, I guess. So that's kind of been our home lately. Can't 
Well, let's go where, where it all started right here and listen to this track called Like a Storm. Yes, you, 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 you expected those drum beats, right? You knew those were coming in. This song kind of started it all for you. It, yeah. it was sort of the genesis of the high concept moment. Yes. I brought some songs to Lewis, Lewis Cole. At first, he thought I wanted something more boring production-wise, so we went through this one version, and it was really lame, and I stopped, and I was like, this is so boring. Can we do something exciting with it? So then we decided to do drum beats in two different tempos and just lay them on top of each other. And then we decided we were just going to kind of go nuts from there forward. So, yeah. What's the video? What's happening? For that, so all of our videos are DIY. We've made like, I don't know, 30 or 40 videos or something. And that one we used a Fisher-Price camera, PXL. It's like a toy camera and it's black and white and it records to audio cassette. And I wore tin foil, and we took all this footage of storms from the internet and stuck it all together.
Let's move on to hear from your cohort, Lewis Cole, from actually a session we did together in Boston at Berkeley College of Music. Lewis Cole commenting on what it is to be a modern musician today. As far as like having talent as a musician, like it's, it's manifesting itself in different ways. Like personally, this is my personal opinion, I think Skrillex is like the next Mozart, you know, like he's, the way his brain works is unbelievable to me. And like when I, I, like I wasn't really into electronic music until I heard Skrillex and then like I realized like that's a whole other way of writing music. Like he's using sound effects to compose in a certain way and it's still just like maximum music. You know, but it's just a completely different thing. So you could almost look at it from a different point of view, like how I was before I really discovered him, and I was like, you know, electronic music sometimes doesn't really sound like music to me, but it's like it just manifests itself in a different ways. Like he's creating like super music with like sound effects and stuff. It sounds like monsters and stuff like biting each other and and yeah. Well, actually, there's I have to say this is really funny. One time I was on YouTube looking at dubstep and. Um, and there's one guy described this one dubstep song as it sounded like Optimus Prime eating a sandwich. And I just thought that was so tight. That was just like exactly how it sounded. Because a lot of it's just like, rah, 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 rah. You know? And it, that, it's just like the perfect visual for me. Well, for Skrillex, it is all about the drop. And that's sort of the power of the music, right? The, the, the yeah. epic transitions. Yeah, and also just, like, I think maybe the Mozart comparison has to do with just, it's, kind of like it's huge orchestration but it's infinite like you can instead of you have a certain amount of violins and a certain amount of whatever woodwinds and stuff you can just invent a new instrument for every single sound that comes in and it can come in once it can come in a million times it's all it's so much freedom there can you write a drop for a, a, a big band and have you yeah he oh, I mean Lewis definitely did for tonight there's this one song called my Buick it's about his old car and it's definitely drops that, that were originally electronic, and then he orchestrated it for horns, and it sounds huge and, and crazy. <laughs>
there's so many things I wanted to ask you about. You wrote a f- song for Janet Jackson that she turned down that became your own, you know, we're not going to be able to listen to yeah. today. We wrote um, a few. One of them was Overtime, actually, the one that kind of, like, blew us up. Yeah, let's talk about Overtime, and then we'll shift gears to the, the last portion of this conversation. Um, let's, let's listen to Overtime, and uh, I'd love to hear this story, too. Listening to this music is only half of the story, and I really mean that sincerely. You have to, there's a whole visual side to this that defines basically that broke you guys, that made you the, the sensations that you are right now, and getting signed to Brain Feeder and everything else. So tell us what happened. What did you do? We decided just for fun to do a live, uh, live version of, of that song in our house. And we just wanted to make something fun and funny and stuck a bunch of like little things like a horse running on the keyboard and like a cell phone that said mom was calling while everybody was just like shredding on their instruments playing all the parts to that song. And people just shared it with their friends. So we didn't really do anything. We just kept doing what we do. And there was something that people liked about this thing. So then we just, since that point, we've just been touring as our live, with a live band. And it's been really fun. Debbie, make us all so feel pretty
we just heard Dizzy Strange Summer. That's the album title. Hot Mess is the composition written and performed by Genevieve Artadi, our first guest on this special edition of The Checkout. We actually had Lewis Cole on this show live performing at Berkeley College of Music with Domi. That's right. Domi DeGaulle. Uh, this song's very important. You might know her with Domi and JD Beck now. We had her on the show. Anyway, we get all these artists on the checkout before anyone else, before they are even signed to labels such as Brain Feeder. And so that's kind of what we're known for. That's the whole name of the show. You're telling folks to check people out and that they do and then then they make it big and so if you appreciate the service of music discovery and identifying the trends before they happen then now you know what you can do to help this show by giving us a financial contribution at wbgo.org support you can also give us a call at 1-800-499-9246 that's 1-800-499-9246 wbgo.org slash support. Again, Trevor, we are calling this the Checkout the Almost Lost Sessions. These are interviews, sessions that we have done in the past that, for whatever reason, never made it to the airwaves, never made it to the podcast, but we are delighted to bring to you today. And I've been dreaming about bringing you this artist to you for quite a while. He is a Palestinian jazz artist, not too many of those, and also an artist that plays the Ney flute, which may be the oldest known flute to man with origins in Egypt that go back thousands and thousands of years. It's a very particular instrument, and this artist had his flute modified so he could actually play all of the, the black notes, the chromatic scales, uh, and He's phenomenal. He's also a music therapist, and we discovered him at Berkeley College of Music. He has a new recording called Tripolarity, and we're going to learn all about that on this special fundraising edition of My Music. Thank you. 
My name is Faris Ishaq. I'm a flutist. I play the Arabic flute, it's called Nay. I'm also a music therapist and I finished my uh, master's degree at Berkeley Global Jazz Institute. And you're listening to my music at the checkout. So guys, basically what you're hearing is a an ancient flute that is like 5,000 years old playing jazz. It's the first jazz album for such a flute. Even in the Arabic music you find rarely a, an authentic combination of Arabic and jazz. I waited like four years to find a sound that connects to my tradition but still goes out of it and it's difficult to find an authentic sound in this way. My story with music was really like a um, spontaneous connection. It's uh, I never wanted to be a musician but one day uh, I was swimming in the pool in Palestine, my hometown, Bethlehem. Uh, I got sting by a bee and this bee I had to go like directly to the next home it was my uncle's home, he had sugarcane flutes, like he had sugarcane and he was asking my brother, uh, please uh, make a flute out of this sugarcane bamboo wood and I'll treat Faris' uh, <laughs> sting, just go make the flute. So after he treated my sting, I, I took the flute and I stole it and put it in my room and started, uh, I wanted to get a sound out of it. And that's how it started. I was 12.
after I started playing the flute, I returned. I returned it to my uncle. I said, now play. He said, no, go and play it now. It's yours. It's such a weird story, but he's proud now. <laughs> it's like when we sit together in the in a family gathering, like the first, I'm the one that made you, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, uncle, you are. But now I give away a lot of flutes. Like whenever I hear someone is producing a sound, I feel responsible of uh, giving away a flute, like as a gift. Uh, until now I give about like 12 flutes. But the person has to make a sound immediately, because the, then it means that the flute chose him, because it's really difficult to make a sound. It's one of the hardest wind instruments. You play it in a 45 degree, to your right or to your left. It's not side, it's not straight. You have to find the perfect balance so the air radiates back because all the air and sound should come from the mouthpiece where you play. It's used to be, to be believed as a Sufi instrument based on self-discovery. And it actually makes sense because what you blow gets back to you. The sound that you blow, Half of it goes to the audience, half of it gets back to you. So basically you're getting your own stuff. It's different from any other instrument in the sense that, for example, in the trumpet, the sound comes from the bore. Or from the clarinet, the sound comes of combination from the bore and the fingers. No, on the Arabic flute, it comes only from the mouth where you blow. It doesn't, nothing comes from uh, the holes or the end of the flute. So if you go and put a mic in the end, it's dead. You, get, you, get, you gotta put it on your mouth. And it's very connected to the voice. So you have to have a mentality of a singer, not just a mentality of a wind player. If you're playing a low register, it's soothing and calming, especially if you get a really nice low sound. If you're playing on the high octave, it's very hard to play it every time because you have to make a really nice sound to feel it nice in your body. And whatever physical thing you do it, you, you, you kind of uh, have this sense in your body. And sometimes if you're in a very bad mood and you're really uh, sad, you just cannot go play something uh, happy. It's just you have to let this, this first out because there will be a contradictive feeling between you and the flute. And so you, you have to let this out first. That's why I give, give a flute player solo at the beginning of the <laughs> if your concert so he can release his thing and he will soothe you. And this is typical, uh, like Arabic singers, they love to give like an introduction solo for the flute to relax everything up. We find in research, the flute used to be played in uh, big churches and in, um, uh, in temples where you have a lot of echo. Uh, it used to be played by Egyptian uh, woman priests, if you call that. Um, especially for the elites, make a kind of like summon the gods. The sound it, it gives you, it's a kind of uh, mixture between evil and light.
hi, this is Faris. Um, I play the Arabic flute now, and you're listening to me on my music. When I was in Germany, I started going to a concert of uh, jazz music, oriental jazz. That's first when I met Ibrahim Malouf, and uh, I totally found the connection between oriental music and uh, jazz. And from that point, I really wanted to be more involved, but not in a way I wanted to learn jazz first and then go to Oriental. I, don't, I didn't want to be culturally inappropriate, you know. <laughs> so I, I went, I tried my best to go through the process of a jazz musician, even though I have a traditional background of Arabic music. And this is what helped me finish my studies here at Berkeley. In order for me to get to jazz, um, I had to make some technical things possible. For example, adding uh, some new holes to my flute, because usually I have like a flute for each key or two keys. Now it's possible for me to play more chromatic, even though I'm missing like four advanced notes on the lowest octave, but still I could work it out with half fingerings and bendings and, you know, some snaky playing around with, uh, with it. Then I started playing more repertoire. Like started with John Coltrane. I remember uh, "A Love Supreme" was a like a, I, I repeated it a lot and played along with it. And on the album you're gonna listen to, there's a an, a new arrangement for the second section resolution. It's based on an 11-8 poetry cycle. And just you know, after playing a lot with uh, with John Coltrane, I started taking the mathematics of jazz more seriously before I went to Berkeley. And I thought at that point I could apply. So I checked out the application, it was very tough for me, but I said, let's, come on, let's do it, man. And I got lucky from the first time I got accepted, so, yeah. The first idea of me becoming a music therapy was uh, also coming from me playing for my friends, playing the flute. I realized that the way I used to play the flute, which is the traditional way, was a very melancholic way of playing that get tears down and that every Arabic uh, person loves to get his tears down <laughs> it's like uh, this melancholy lives with us so I used to help them a lot you know we'd, we'd sit around you know in a, someone's house and get, grab a drink and uh, enjoy just the music and close the lights and first come on play for us a little bit make us cry that's like how they say make us cry you know <laughs> so at that point, I realized music has a lot of potential other than just like going on concert and just clapping, you know. So from that point, I said I want to discover more and I heard about music therapy. Thank you. 
even though that uh, I'm very committed to my work as a music therapist and I feel it's such an important and new discipline, I feel I should go out of the therapeutic setting that uh, psychiatry is putting us into because I don't agree much with what's happening now. So um, I feel I'm responsible to bring it through performance more. This instrument is very powerful. It's, it might be not very therapeutic, who knows? That's the decision of the audience. Might be very tickling some sounds that might you might don't want to mess around with. Or on the opposite. It has the potential to release a lot of stress, it has the potential, but the subject of the album is not a soothing, relaxing subject. Tripolarity. It's the it's a very realistic subject that expresses the suffering of many people from different stigmas. A tripolarity. Um, it's this neutral pole that is not connected to any extreme traditional thinking. So it's this pole that you, this area that you can rediscover anything. So if you are suffering from a stigma that you are mentally ill, you should go to a place and start rediscovering yourself, starting from the zero. And I believe the zero has a lot of potential, it's full, because you can add values as you want in it. It's not a, an easy thing, but it's, it's better than keep thinking that you have a stigma, you know. I personally don't have an experience with bipolar, but I worked a lot with people with bipolar and schizophrenia. And what I realized that people just go immediately to take medicine instead of working their own stuff instead of going to ancient traditional uh, methods like meditation or thinking that uh, they might have a special thing. There's a book I've read, it's uh, Shamans are the ancient uh, manifestation of people who have uh, schizophrenia. So if shamans were able to make it and go in altered state of consciousness, then why now current people with schizophrenia cannot work with it? It's because the society doesn't help. It's because the psychiatry doesn't help. It's because they get into medication, you know, taking Cibrexa or taking anything like that will just paralyze you. Instead of working your stuff through art, through poetry. So it's the question for me was like, the reality, does this make sense that these people are crazy as we describe them? Or they have just their own communication, their own reality, let's say. You find a lot of connections between <laughs> being crazy and uh, artistic creativity. It's not 100% true, but <laughs> I mean, if you go, if you produce such high amount of art, I'm sure you're gonna go crazy at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Trevor, he describes himself as the first jazz nay flute artist, and I think he's probably right about that. I don't know anyone else that, uh, you know, aligns himself in the jazz world playing the nay flute. Yeah, no, I, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even know what the nay flute was until I, I heard this segment. And so, you know, I went on the, the Google rabbit hole and, and listened to some videos and kind of got the context for the type of music that he's making. And it just made it all the more special. You know, I, it's what he's doing is, is absolutely beautiful. And the fact that he modified it to, as you said, add those black notes, add that chromaticism to his music. It's just really, really cool. So right now you can come through for us if you think we are a beacon for music discovery, then we need that light shined back at us because that's the only way that we can keep our mission of bringing you the newest, the latest, the hottest. It's by you. You need to support us in that mission by going to wbgo.org slash support or giving us a call at 1-800-499-9246. We only do this a couple times a year, y'all. We really do. Where we come to you and ask for your financial support. We are public radio. We are public media. We do this out of uh, a deeper mission, a uh, deeper passion to, you know, try to beautify the world in any way we can. And I think we're doing that right here with bringing you artists like Faris Ishak, the nay flute artist, with Genevieve Artadi, with the Lewis Cole Big Band. Beauty comes in many different colors and many different forms. And we just gave you a pretty awesome variety of that right here on this show. So show your appreciation, if you could, by giving us a call, reaching out to us at wbgo.org support, or call us at 1-800-499-9246.